So do you remember the kids' board game in the 90s called Don't Wake Daddy? Of course I remember. It had that catchy theme song and nice commercial and everything. How did it go? Don't wake daddy. Daddy. (laughs) I just can't believe that we had an entire game for kids based off the premise of sneaking out to get snacks from the fridge without waking dad. Yeah, it's it, that is dad. one of the scariest <laughs> things as a kid is sneaking out for treats. And then dad wakes up. Oh no, what's oh, no. daddy going to do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's kick off this Father's Day episode. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror movie fan. What do we do here, Brett? Well, each week, normally, we pick, uh, you pick a rom-com, I pick a horror, and then we watch and review those movies, but then we also remix those movies. We make the rom-com a horror and the horror a rom-com. That is correct, but... This being our Father's Day special, things are a little bit different, you said. That's right. Uh, My dad picked the horror movie, and your dad picked the rom-com movie. That they did. Uh, Do you think that it was easier to get an answer from your mom on Mother's Day than it was to get an answer from your dad of what horror movie he would want you to pick? Uh, actually for my mom, it was, I think it was pretty clear. I think she only gave me one answer. I said, I think it's kind of an obvious answer, but I think, I think there's only one answer for you to give. And my mom gave me Carrie because I remember her saying that was the scariest movie ever. And if it could scare mom, holy cow, this movie must be scary. So... (laughs) With my dad, though, I said, hey, uh, I need you to pick a horror movie. And he was like, all right. And he gave me five. And I told him, I think it's a pretty obvious choice. And he gave me five movies. And the one that I would have picked was number one. And that is Motel Hell. And just like when my mom said, oh, Carrie's really scary. I remember my dad pitching me Motel Hell as this movie is hilarious <laughs> and then i was it like pretty my, funny my dad i was like you my dad doesn't laugh at too many movies though like how can this movie be hilarious but then like with carrie oof this is a good movie man this movie is hilarious would you say the same thing about my dad's pick when harry met sally uh i would say that that movie is also very funny and yeah it's just one of those movies that you know, it's so cheesy and formulaic, but man, they execute it so well. I would argue that it is timeless. Yeah, yeah. unlike your parents, my, both of my parents gave wrong answers <laughs> first. So I told my mom that she needed to pick a rom-com, and she said, how about Laura? 
which, as you famously know, is not a rom-com. <laughs> it's about murder. Yeah. And, and so is The Thin Man, but that one was close enough, and that was her second pick. That I decided. All right, we'll choose. We'll choose that one. Don't don't say anything more. Um, and then with my dad, the first thing he mentioned was Doctor Zhivago, a three hour plus epic about the Russian Revolution and basically a romantic tragedy with one of the bleakest endings ever written. So I had to say, no, I, I need something that has comedy in it. And he was like, ah, I guess when Harry met Sally. Do you, is um, that your dad's sense of humor? or Because it goes from one extreme to the other. It goes from one of the most depressing endings ever to one of the cheesiest, but sappiest, but most crowd-pleasing, timeless endings ever. <laughs> I would guess that he's a begrudging fan of When Harry Met Sally. Maybe he just appreciates Billy Crystal as as a as a fellow leading man, Jewish man. Yeah. Uh, and uh Rob Reiner is being funny. My dad, my dad likes witty humor, witty word humor, which there's a lot of in When Harry Met Sally. So maybe that's what what drew him to it, but Unlike my mom, who's really into action movies, my dad loves historical epics. Uh, I I didn't watch as many movies with him so much as things like Sharp with Sean Bean, where he plays an officer during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, oh, we watched just a bunch of BBC historical things. That's That's really his lane. Uh, but when I was a kid, uh, he had enough movies and laser discs that as a thing that I would get allowance for, he made me catalog all of his movies. He wanted me to create a document with the all of the information and a summary of the movie so he could use that to look at his collection. <laughs> Wow, you were a cinematic librarian growing up. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, my mom is a movie hoarder. I, I think when the power grid goes down, she's going to be set with all the DVDs she has now. Right. So if this were a movie, you would open the door in your dad's closet would be like super of, of movies would be super alphabetical and labeled and everything. And then when you open your mom's closet... All of the movies just come pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's she's pretty well organized too, but um, she has not risen to the digital revolution in the way that my dad has. Uh, she still collects physical DVDs, even though I think even DVDs have become somewhat obsolete. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, I I do prefer a Blu-ray over a digital, but at the same time, I I can't tell you the last time I bought a Blu-ray. What's what's your relationship with your dad in movies? Um, I mean, I've said on the podcast that my dad only likes westerns and cheesy sci-fi monster movies, but you know that's a little bit of a exaggeration, but um. We used to rent at the uh, video store where I grew up. Uh, they had four movies, four dollars, four nights. 
And so we just used to rent like Godzilla night, classic universal monster night, Kung Fu night. And so it was, you know, Indiana Jones night. So it was just watching a bunch of B movies. That sounds fun. Yeah. All right. Well, what should we start with first? Motel Hell or When Harry Met Sally? I feel like there's no reason for delaying Motel Hell. That movie yeah. is. <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's plant that that seed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's find out the story of Motel Hell then. So, brother and sister Vincent and Ida own a roadside motel called Motel Hello, but the O burns out, so it looks like Motel Hell, where they also sell Farmer Vincent's famous meats. Everyone in the county loves Vincent's meats. Uh, Turns out they're made from people. Uh, And again, I have to ask the question, why is it in horror movies humans are delicious there's never been a horror movie where cannibalism wasn't described as being absolutely delicious uncle drayton's chili delicious farmer vincent's sausage delicious i feel like horror movies are trying to tell us humans taste great uh so at night vincent sets straps for the road uh for unsuspecting motorists and then he abducts them after they crash One night, Vincent abducts Bo, a biker, and his girlfriend, his much younger girlfriend, Terry. Uh, And Bo is taken where the other meat is kept, while Terry is taken to the motel because Vincent is kind of into her. Uh, Sheriff Bruce, who is Vincent and Ida's dopey younger brother, arrives the next day. Vincent tells Terry that Bo is dead and buried, which... It sounds illegal, but we're we're going with it. Um, and she decides to stay at the motel because she has nowhere to go. Uh, and one day, a farm veterinarian comes to check on the pigs and notices a closed-off garden. So he comes back at night to check it out, and he finds out how Vincent and Ida are farming people. They bury them up to their necks in the garden, cut their vocal cords, and then put a sack over their heads. Vincent catches the vet and plants him in the garden. And this is like 30 minutes in. Yeah, it's very creepy because when they're in the in the garden, their heads are kind of wiggling around too under the burlap sacks. It's very creepy. Yeah, and they treat it like a religious tradition and they they use religion as like a justification for it. Ugh. Meets meat and man's got to eat bread. <laughs> so Terry continues to hang out with the family while Vincent captures more victims, including a rock band called Ivan and the Terribles, two girlfriends on a road trip, and a couple of swingers. Uh, Vincent then offers to teach Terry to smoke meat sometime. And out of curiosity, Terry goes into the smokehouse where Ida catches her and decides she's got to go. Uh, so she tricks Terry into tubing on the pond and then tries to drown her. Vincent rescues Terry. And then Terry, who, again, is super into old dudes for some reason, tries to have sex with Vincent because she's into him for just completely inexplicable reason. I mean, Rory Calhoun is kind of handsome in an old man way, but it's still just mind boggling. 
but then Vincent says they need to be married first. He's a good guy. No, he's clearly an old man virgin. Uh, <laughs> he has well, it's better than being the rapey cop. Younger brother? Oh, yeah, that guy's <laughs> such a creep. But, yeah, Vincent has syphilis of the brain, Brett. That's what <laughs> they said. That's what Bruce said. Uh, so Vincent says they got to get married, but Sheriff Bruce does not believe it. He confronts Terry before Vincent drives him off with a shotgun. Vincent, Terry, and Ida have a champagne toast, and then Terry gets knocked out because Ida drugged her champagne. Vincent and Ida get to work making more meat. Uh, so then Bruce, having put the pieces together now of all times that his brother is killing people, he goes back to the motel to rescue Terry. He's knocked out by Ida. Ida takes Terry to the smokehouse and makes Vincent reveal the truth. There's smoking people meat. Cannibalism is a deal breaker for Terry. Uh, so then meanwhile, Bo manages to free himself from the garden hole and then he gets the other trapped meat people out. They go over to Ida and then they point her, they plant her in the garden with her legs sticking up. So she's dead. Uh, and then Terry tries to escape from Vincent. So he ties her to a conveyor belt. Bruce wakes up and goes to the smokehouse. He has a dueling chainsaws showdown with Vincent while Vincent's wearing a pig's head. Uh, Vincent gets stuck that, on his own that chainsaw. That sentence right there. The, oh, yeah. The chainsaw duel while wearing a pig head. That is the definition of a Brett movie. It's a movie called Motel Hell, where the ending is a chainsaw battle with one guy wearing a pig head. Yes, they they go there. If they you, go there. I mean, I feel like once you saw the garden with people planted in it, they could have done anything at this point, right. and I would have believed it. They had one uh, shot, and they took it. No, they, they, they did it. They were having fun. So Vincent gets stuck on his own chainsaw and confesses that he is a hypocrite. He admits that he used preservatives. Ugh. And then he, he dies. He wasn't a good guy the whole time. He was a so, bad guy. No, he was unrepentant about killing people for me, but he felt very bad that he lied about it being organic, which, you know, clearly is the, the more heinous crime here. Exactly, we're in agreement. <laughs> and then Bruce and Terry find Ida buried, and then they leave the hotel for good. The end. The end. Yeah. What a silly, 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 silly movie. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely silly. It's extremely well made in the sense that those tonal shifts, they, they, they are the punchline that they are. And, uh, yeah, the only thing that would make it better is if the cop got his comeuppance and she was more of a hero at the end. Yeah, I would have liked it if Terry were the one who fought Vincent. Uh, and then I also would have liked the more explanation because at a certain point, Vincent says he's the biggest cannibal in the county. And he's talking about Sheriff Bruce meaning that Sheriff Bruce loves his meats more than anyone else. Um, is that why he's so stupid? Because he's been eating people his whole life? I think <laughs> and that's, he's the biggest cannibal in the county? I think that's kind of the, it's just kind of the joke, which is, oh, now he gets 
all righteous, even though, you know, he's a hypocrite because he really liked my meats. I think they could have done a little bit of a better job setting that up. Uh, you know, they could have had him really into the meats, <laughs> but uh, they don't show it as much. Yeah, I I liked all the little lines in this movie. Like I mentioned, um, meat's meat and man's got to eat. Another line I loved was, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent's fritters. Yeah. Uh, the movie's very funny like that. It's very on purpose funny, but it also manages to make those stupid James Bond-ish puns, Arnold puns work, you know, and it's like, oh, he just dropped in and he, you know, fell into the cemetery off the fence. Uh, there's a lot of puns in this movie, but it's it's so <laughs> creepy and, and wholesome at the same time that it works. I don't know if I would say there's any part of this movie that's wholesome. It's just filled to the brim with whack jobs. There is not oh, yeah. a single person in this movie who is sane. And not that. One. That includes Terry, too. She's yeah. insane to stay there. It's just, it's, and then there's, yeah, no one in town. I think maybe the whole county is filled with whack job weirdos because they've all been eating people for years. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very much like the witches in that sense that Augustus, you know, whatever, Augustus Gloop or whoever, the the chubby mouse he was a character and he just totally went along with the madness. He was like, yeah, I'm a mouse now. That's just perfect. I get to eat a lot. Right. No, I, yeah. But it's like, everybody's weird. The people and the sheriff, the person who's supposed to be the authority figure, he's useless. Um, and, and liberals are very scary. Who? Liberals. I mean, who all are the liberals. You know, the hippies, the swingers, the, oh, the four people having sex in a car when the sheriff came to the makeout spot. Yeah, all those people, the, you know, they got it coming. You know, they're very scary people. At the end of the movie, they're basically zombies. That's very scary. And the communists, uh, Ivan and the Terribles, Cliff yeah. Clavin. Yeah, I mean, this movie's really smart. This movie's ahead of its time. This movie is what if. Uh, you know, what if this movie is like if Christian far right wingers were like, yeah, we're just going to start eating people and everyone's okay with it. So what does your dad think is the funniest part of this movie? I would say based on memory, when we watched it, hearing him laugh out loud, either probably at something that uh, the main lady said, what's her name? Ida? Ida, yeah, probably something that Ida did because she is, whew, she is like Bugs Bunny gone. She is just gone. Or Daffy I love Duck, I mean. Ida. I She's so love great. I love Ida. She's um, absurd. She doesn't give a fuck. Nothing bothers Ida. Yeah, or the reveal of the heads. That's such a great moment because it. <laughs> It's 30 minutes into the movie and the movie's like, uh, we're not done yet. Right. I have a feeling too that Ida has no desire to treat the meat humanely 
that if Farmer Vincent weren't there, this would be a totally different story. Oh, yeah, it would be Texas Chainsaw 2. She would be Leatherface. Well, what if, what if she's grandma? Oh. And she passed on the ancient art of man meat smoking to the family. Yeah, what if she didn't die in the... The Sawyer family. Yeah, she married, that's a great point. She married a fellow cannibal, maybe somebody who came to the hotel because of the swingers ad. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. That's a great sort of, you know, fan fiction. Yeah, no, I'd like to see those those worlds collide. Uh, I really loved the scene with the swingers, too, because they were just completely just so goofy. And then they were just delighted to be tied up by Vincent and Ida. They thought, you know, this is going down. And then only when the nitrous doesn't quite smell like nitrous does she start to get a hint. <laughs> that That's not nitrous. Yeah, it puts you to sleep and it makes us laugh. <laughs> uh, we also recently released the anime episode and um, the lady reminded, the, the main character lady reminded me of Mima. Oh, really? Yeah. Terry well, she, reminded you of Mima? She was completely oblivious and just wholesome to everything. She She just didn't... Yeah, Ida was kind of a, a roomie in that way where she was like, you sweet summer child, you just yeah. don't know anything. It's so easy to fool you. Yeah. Um, overall, I have to say this is this is a great movie. This is a great movie to show someone and be in the room when you show them. Like, I wish we weren't in quarantine because this would definitely be a movie where I would stress that we had to watch it together because this was your first time, right? Yeah. I had never seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah. You'll never get that first time experience back. <laughs> yeah. Again, I reacted very strongly to just the fact that Terry, for whatever reason, was just loving this experience with loving this it. kooky, crazy family that were clearly cannibals, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just the way that they talk to her and the way that Rory Calhoun says that he's going to teach her the ancient art of meat smoking. And just even though he's such a dweeb, too, because he's just as weird as his the rest of the family, it just sounds so, I don't know, corny and campy. It's It's perfect. Like I said, they had one shot. And they took it. Do you think it was all intentional? Um, you know, because there's there's a I, I'll, I'll recommend it at the end of the podcast. But I was watching a documentary that talked about camp as being failed seriousness. Do you feel like Motel Hell wanted to be serious and fa failed, or they always knew they were making a silly movie? I I I don't. I mean, I like to think that they were making a silly movie because I cannot imagine a world in which they were being serious and just failed that badly at it. Like this movie is legit funny mm -hmm. and it yeah. would be super awesome and smart 
if Terry at the end was the hero. Yeah, I think that would be the only thing that I would change is if Terry were more heroic. But if Terry were more heroic and intelligent, she wouldn't have been able to fall for it. Well, that's the change. She grows. She turns into a badass. It's like um, it's like Evil Dead ended with Ash turning into a badass. And then Evil Dead 2 was like, let's go all out. Yeah, no, I, I am always I'm I'm always down for the the badass turn, uh, like with uh, Sarah Connor in the Terminator series, uh, or uh, Sydney in Scream. And there's definitely movies that that make that character turn really fun. I just I wonder if Motel Hell is too early. <laughs> for that kind of girl power and they were just like ah we like this chick and we want to show her boobies yeah i don't know my dad what would it say was. titillating <laughs> i don't know what it was it was pure exploitation maybe that was part of the selling point of like i'm gonna give you this much money to make the movie but you gotta have some boobs in it <laughs> and they just you know i it's it's definitely a product of its time but yeah. Oof, the rest of the movie. A plus. I'm trying to remember. I wrote down this one line. What right do you have to play God? And I can't remember who said it. I'm imagining someone said it to Vincent. Yeah. Um, I think it's Terry. Terry sends it to Vincent when he's <laughs> when he um when he's cooking up the meat and she's kind of his prisoner in the shed. <laughs> What right do you have to play God? <laughs> and he's Anytime not. a movie goes there, I, I always love that level of camp. Yeah, I think it I think that's serious or that's silly on purpose because his answer is no, I worship God. I'm doing him a I'm doing right by him. And he plays it, Rory Calhoun plays it spot on. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Basically, he is a climate activist and he is reducing the footprint of people by eating them. Yeah, and he kills them humanely, quote unquote. He recycles. Right. So, and Wolfman Jack, that's a name that is, I don't, that's a name that is, um, it's a, it's something that was passed on probably by my dad. The fact that I know who that is. I'm guessing not too many people nowadays know who that is. So Wolfman Jack, he was the guy who played the preacher, right? Right. And he was, who is he? He's a radio DJ. So he's like, a oh. he's like a guy who's just a personality who sells entertainment and it's, you know, that's like uh, casting Richard Dawson in The Running Man. Mm. It's a it's a great, fun, quote unquote, villainous kind of turn. Yeah, no, he's kind of like one of those righteous gemstone type preachers. Exactly, exactly. So tell me, who from this movie did you have a crush on? Well... <laughs> You know, I like to go with a crazy offbeat choice, but with this one, I got to go the obvious one and Ida. Uh, you took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth. 
<laughs> it's I mean some of I would say there's probably a 60-40 ratio where I've started to just say more and more I got to go with the obvious one. There are some movies where a person just it's like I said um uh during the anime episode that acting I think a lot of people have a narrow view of acting and Ida does a fantastic job with the script that she's given cuz it's a crazy one. I like when women are permitted to be ugly and bad and villainous and silly uh, and to break boundaries in that way. I feel like if I were an actress, the role of Terry is really boring. I would want to play Ida because she gets to do all of this crazy shit. Uh, And she gets to say hilarious things and she's just so creepy. I felt like if they remade Motel Hell, I'd want Amy Poehler or uh, Amy Sedaris to play Ida, just a really funny female, or Megan McCartney, just a really funny female comedian who would just, just have fun with it. I, um, what's her, what's her name? The, the blonde, uh, Maria Bamford. I would like to see maybe Maria <gasps> She's Bamford. She's so funny. Yeah. Um, you know, they could give her a gimmick of, you know, being crazy and doing all these different voices and really yeah, have fun Maria. with the character. Yeah. So how did you, on a scale of one to 10, how easy did you find turning Motel Hell into a romantic comedy? I mean, I I found it to be a 10 for life reasons. You know, I think I might have said this before, but when my life is going badly, it's actually when I feel the most creative. Some of my lowest personal points where I'm grieving the most is when I'm able to throw myself into a creative project and, you know, um, really master it. But I feel like right now the entire world is grieving and suffering and, you know, day after day we're hit with so much news. That's, I mean, some of it is really positive, um, but a lot of it is so negative um, that I just, I don't know. I just felt emotionally exhausted and I had no, like, I wouldn't say I had a writer's block because I feel like if you just make yourself start doing stuff, you can become unblocked pretty easily. But I wasn't as quick to think of the next thing or to just, you know, draw details from my head Mozart style. Uh, I don't know if you felt similarly. Uh, I definitely put off the movies until the very, very last minute because I felt the same exact way in terms of I just don't want to watch these. Like I knew Motel Hell was a comedy. So I was like, I just don't want to watch these comedies in this time of super depressing, like serious stuff. And then once I did watch them, and then I had to sit down to do the the uh, remixes. I was just thinking, you know, this is actually just really fun. And it's so okay I, to find joy. I think right, that that's so important I, in this time too. Yeah, I found it actually pretty easy because I was under such a time pressure of like, oh shit, I have 
very little time to do these pitches. And so I forced myself to, again, when you put constraints on a premise like this, you actually become more free to just do whatever you want. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I, I feel like for me, the longer away a deadline is, the worse it is for me to procrastinate. If I'm up against a deadline, I can work quick enough to bring something out. Yeah, you got to shift those gears. So I'm curious if you had an easy time writing a rom-com for Motel Hell. Now you've got me interested. Where Uh, are we going, Brett? All right. So I'm just going to call it When Harry Met Sally because I think that's a great rom-com title. Wait, are you... What? You're just renaming it When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. But there's already a When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, but there's other movies out there that are named the same thing, but they're completely different movies. No, that's not like... (sighs) (sighs) How about When Sally Met Harry? Maybe. Okay, but... You could have even just done when Terry met Vincent. I don't know. No, I want to do because, okay, here's here's the thing. If we're going to go for camp, ver, what is camp? Silly versus serious. I need you to picture uh, Billy Crystal as the main guy. And I need you to picture Meg Ryan as the main girl. But this or is main lady. a rom-com remake of Motel Hell, right? Oh, Okay. All right. Continue. Okay. So it's uh, 1977 and I renamed Vincent to Frank and Frank's uh, Frank's father, Franklin owns Frank's smoked human meat. And it's a very advertising it now. Right. And so it's a very famous restaurant in the small town that he's from and everyone loves it. And it's just out in the open. And so Frank Jr. is riding the train into the big city so that he can drive the many miles into the small town because his father isn't doing that well. And he's got to take over the family business on the train. He meets Sally who is going into town to, or uh, no, I guess I got to name my guy Harry. Sorry, I, I came up with the title after. So. Yeah, you didn't mean to use the same title. So, so Harry, I'm going to change his name to Harry Junior. Um, he meets Sally on the train, and she's going to study law, right? And they mm-hmm. get into they get into like a conversation about how sm- how cooking humans it probably isn't the coolest thing to do. Whereas Frank is like, this is how I grew up. This is my tradition, you know? So they they leave each other in the big city. He goes to his town. She goes to law school. Five years later, she uh, they meet at Simonoff's law firm. And Sally is looking for a job. And Frank needs help from a law firm because he's being sued from a, a mega company called Soylent King. Over, <laughs> over the um, over the naming rights for like a Big Mac type burger called Frank's Footer. Is and it made out of foot meat? Frank's Footer from, or no, I'm sorry, 
Uh, yeah, no, okay, so I got to call my movie When Frank Met Sally. Again, I wrote this very last minute. I thought you said this was easy. <laughs> this was easy. It's messy, but it's easy. So Frank's footer is, for Frank, it's foot meat, but it's kind of shaped like a sausage. So it's a foot-long hot dog, but it's made of real foot meat. For the Soylent King version of a Frank's footer... It is processed meats shaped like a foot. So it's completely against the ethics of human meat making. And Frank Jr. clearly has to fight this because it's tradition. He can't give up the name Frank's footer. That's That's from his father. That's handed down from generation to generation. So... The lady who's who's in charge of Simonoff's law firm comes out and says, hey, what do you need? And Frank says, I need a lawyer. She says to Sally, what do you need? And she says, I need a job. And she goes to Frank, well, what do you need a lawyer for? And he said, well, my human meat restaurant is being sued by Soylent King. And she says to Sally, how many years experience do you have? And she says, zero. So the lady Simonoff says, perfect, you guys should work together. So now these people who don't like each other are forced to work together and they're both complaining about money because Frank is being sued and Sally doesn't have enough money to live in the big city because she just started this job and she's not getting paid a lot of money. So she has to move. Sally, Sally. She has to move onto the farm where she ends up helping Frank with farm duties and he ends up helping her with lawyerly duties and so they start to kind of like each other you know all right all right they're vibing yeah so then they go to the early pre-court meeting thing that you go to and soylent king offers a settlement and they say hey instead of going to court why don't we just pay you guys off and lady simonoff says yeah we'll do that and frank jr says no I need to keep this tradition alive. This is tradition. And the whole time while they're signing the contract, it's very tradition-based, right? Like it's very courtroom official-based. And Sally is into courtroom stuff. That's why she became a lawyer. So she has to follow the tradition of the law. And so now that she knows how much tradition means to Frank, she ends up fighting for Frank. And she ends up quitting Simonoff's law firm and taking on the case pro bono. Right? Oh, pro bono. Yeah. So now Frank doesn't owe Simonoff all this money. Or no, he does owe Simonoff a bunch of money. So they have to win the case so that they can pay off the debt. And they already declined the settlement. So the settlement's been pulled. So... They go to uh, argue it in court, and Soylent King says, hey, we'll throw you uh, one more chance to do the settlement. And she says, no, absolutely not. And they hand over a piece of paper to Frank Jr. And then Frank Jr. opens the piece of paper, and he's like tugging at Sally while she is giving this huge speech about ethics and tradition. And then finally he turns her head, and they look at the paper, and they say, we'll take it. 
And then they Wait, turns her head like Jurassic Park style. Yes, exactly. So he turns her head <laughs> and her mouth falls open. She's just seen a brontosaurus. The number, the figure is brontosaurus sized huge. And then they say, we'll take it. And now they can, they can own their restaurant that was in money trouble. They can own it together. And she used her lawyerly powers to save the day. And at the end of the movie, she says, hey, I made you something. And it looks like a Frank's footer. And then he goes, uh, hey, this is great. What do you call it? He goes, is this a Frank's footer? She says, no. And he goes, well, it's great. What do you call it? And she says, a Frank's wiener. Oh, because it's going to be made out of penis meat? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should call the movie Frank's wiener. <laughs> I would like that. I, I have one question for you, Brett. Sure. How is this movie like Rango? Oh, wh wh what is the target audience for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it is so niche. Uh, good luck. Like, how did Rango get the big budget that it got? I, I could barely scrap up probably $2,000 to make this movie, which would also fit with the camp. I would love if a movie like Frank's Wieners ended up getting a million dollars to shoot or something like that. I think Can a million imagine? dollars would be more than enough money to make this movie. What would you use the extra money for? Uh, probably to open up a real restaurant called Frank's Wieners. I would use it all for a practical effects budget. Oh yeah, for sure. That just, I mean, that's one of the nuts. charms of Motel Hell is that they take a van and they flip it over, and uh, the the next snap, it's so practical that it's jarring, and you're like, "Oof, a guy in a pig face having yeah, a rolling really, chainsaw battle." You don't need any CGI to be a creep. Not no, at all. You've, you've got it. <laughs> So again, if you picture Billy Crystal as Frank and you picture Meg Ryan as uh, Sally, I think that this movie, it, it's a rom-com. I mean, I definitely think there's elements of enemies to lovers. Um, I like the idea of, you know, representation and counsel. There's a little bit of taboo there. A lawyer isn't supposed to get involved with their client in that way. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, and, and I think the thing, the thing that's always a struggle when you're writing a rom-com is finding that right balance between the rom and the com. Because if you go to rom, then it becomes, you know, weepy Dr. Zhivago territory. Uh, but if you go to com, you lose the relationship aspect, which is sort of the key to the whole thing. Right. I think a lot of movies that are smart make the relationship a positive one. I mean, even though it starts out negative in this case, um, you see them actually start to fall for each other. And it kind of reminds me of Nick and Nora, or it reminds me of The Conjuring, The Warrens, how it's just it's all based on positivity and this movie's a great enemies to lover because Billy Crystal is a sleazeball at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. And he is in the actual when Harry met Sally too. Well, we will get to that. Um, right. But uh, for me, I, 
again, was really struggling with details. So some of this we're going to, we're going to play producer as I pitch this story. Yeah. That's and, my my next remix is very producer pitch. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we have a few options for how we can flesh this story out, fellas. So I decided to call this movie complimentary, you know, cause things be complimentary sometimes if you're at a hotel. Uh, so Vincent and his sister Ida have tried their best to keep the family motel afloat, but it is going out of business. Ida decides to submit their motel to an HGTV style fixer upper reality show called Roadkill to Road Thrill without Vincent's knowledge. So when Vincent learns what Ida did, he refuses to participate at first. He hates the show and he hates the hosts, Guy and Edie, because he thinks they're really fake and phony. Um, but what he doesn't know is that he's right and more because Guy and Edie use the reality show as a cover to create a network of swinger motels. Which, not to kink shame... You know, not kink same, but you have to consent is really key if you're going to build a network of swinger motels. It shouldn't be underground. <laughs> Can I give a quick producer pitch? Sure. Uh, Rob Reiner directed This Is Spinal Tap. This is a mockumentary. Oh, yeah. This could totally be a mockumentary. Yeah, but because you have the TV show set up. It's perfect. It is also the, uh, it, there's some, we'll, it, it's, I don't know how, how that would work with the, the main plot thrust, which is that Guy and Edie send their junior producer, Terry, out to the motel to get Vincent to sign the release forms to get him on board for the show. So if it were a mockumentary, then you'd have this kind of ironic situation where it's like, he signed the release to be in the mockumentary, but not to be in the reality show. So I don't know how you would dramatize that as Here a mockumentary. Yes, he signed the he signed both of them, but due to a clerical error, his contract for the show got lost, and now the producer has to get him to sign a new copy. But this time, he does not want to sign it. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I again, we'll, we'll uh, let me, let me read on. So sure. Terry, Terry gets into a roadside accident on her way to the hotel. Vincent picks her up unaware that she's associated with the reality show and she decides to omit the truth so she can get to know the family. So like any rom-com gotta have that innocent lie that snowballs into a betrayal Terry comes to love the country, the Smith family. She has growing feelings for Vincent while Vincent's brother, Bruce, starts to get jealous. Uh, and then as far as the comedy, I'd like to add, you know, some fish out of water gags, some country fun, maybe some encounters with funny locals or permanent residents at the motel, um, maybe stuff like that. Uh, we could get some running jokes about what's complimentary at the hotel, and maybe he gives her a complimentary kiss. Ooh. Uh, so Bruce figures out that Terry is part of the TV crew, and he outs her to Vincent to break them up. Vincent is mad at her for lying by omission. 
Terry feels guilty. They part ways on bad terms. And then Terry quits her job and uses the footage she secretly took of the motel to create a viral video. And then donations pour in to help hashtag Motel Bay. Uh, and Vincent is able to keep in business. Vincent finds out that Terry is responsible for the viral campaign, so he goes to find her, and then we get our great hero grovel, which is one of my favorite rom-com tropes, is the hero has decided to apologize and humble himself. Uh, that is very much uh, a straight female fantasy. We The idea of men apologizing is so hot. Uh, <laughs> is that the difference between a Bellamy and a hero? Is the Bellamy grovels, but you actually cheer when the main character says, no way. Well, no, a Bellamy, it, usually Bellamy's don't grovel. Like you could never imagine Anshuman groveling because he's so much of an egoist that he would never apologize for the way he treated someone. Gotcha. Um, but when the hero has done something wrong and he grovels or he, you know, is willing to humble himself, it's, it's, it's a gesture of putting the characters on an even playing field. Uh, so he grovels and he says that if she comes back, she'll receive his heart complimentary. Oh, and then that's I, the end. I like it. It's very sweet. No, I think you did a great job. Um, I'm going to I'm going to alter my producer's pitch. OK, uh, you know how in when Harry met Sally, they have the interstitials of the couples talking about how cutesy their meat cutes are. Mm -hmm. uh, we do that, but we do it RoboCop satire style of instead of having commercials. Shooting the people movie. in the dick. Right. <laughs> we um, we just do the HGTV. We just do clips of it throughout the, the movie. That'd be fine. Yeah. I like, I like that. Well, you know, I like the idea of playing with different filming styles. Right. Like, I really like it when shows and movies have movies within the movies or shows within the movie. Uh, there was a show within a show on Twin Peaks that I thought was really clever. Particularly, there is a scene in the show where a character dies just as his doppelganger on the TV show that everyone watches dies too. It's just, I love stuff like that. You're a Tim and Eric fan, right? Oh, huge Tim and Eric fan. Yeah, I love News them. Channel 5, the married news team, Dr. Steve Brule. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, but also, have you seen Bedtime Stories? Uh, I don't know if I've seen them all, but I've seen some of them. Yeah. They're very clever short films. I, I love them. So are you ready to move on to when Harry yes. met Sally, the real let's, one? Let's go find out what it's like to be in a movie where New York is a character. Oh yeah. It, this is very proto Seinfeld. Um, yes. Woody Allen era. New York. Sally and Elaine share some similar characteristics. I would also not be surprised to learn that Sally is a terrible dancer. That's true. That's true. Um, Billy Crystal makes reference to the white man's overbite or bite lip, lip bite. Right? What? What does that mean? You know, when, oh, he... oh, when, when men dance and they bite their lip. Yeah. 
that's how I dance. Oh God. <laughs> well, I mean, when he, when he put his leg on the table of the karaoke machine before Helen appeared, uh, that was a very masculine statement as he was singing. That's true. That's true. There uh, is the, I, I'll link to it when we release this, but there is a GQ article where the writer ranks every single outfit Billy Crystal wears in When Harry Met Sally. And it's just a brilliant bit of journalism. Uh, I bet it's a. Do you have a favorite outfit of his? Uh, off the top of my head, no. As we, as we go through the, um, as I recap the story and it all starts to come back to me, I might, might come up with one. All right. Well, tell the kids how Harry met Sally. So, uh, much like my movie, we start out in... <laughs> I wonder <laughs> what came first. <laughs> uh, we start out in 1977, and Harry Burns and Sally Albright, a graduate from the University of Chicago, share the drive to New York City, because it's 1977, and it's easier just to road trip. Um, and so, in New York City, Sally is going to start beginning journalism, and Harry is also starting his career. Harry is dating Sally's friend, Amanda. And during the drive, Harry and Sally discuss their different ideas about relationships. And Sally disagrees with Harry's assertion that men and women cannot be friends as the sex part gets in the way. Um, at dinner, Harry tells Sally she is attractive and she angrily accuses him of making a pass at her. And this is, causes them to basically part in unfriendly terms. Uh, five years later, just like my movie, Harry and <laughs> Sally find themselves on the same flight. And Sally is dating Harry's neighbor, Joe, and Harry is engaged to a woman named Helen, which surprises Sally because, you know, she didn't think he was the Marian type. And so Harry suggests they become friends uh, forcing him to qualify his previous position about the impossibility of male-female relationships. Uh, they separate, concluding that they will not be friends because Harry is Harry. Harry and Sally run into each other again in a bookstore six years later. They have coffee and talk about their previous relationships. Sally and Joe broke up because she wanted a family and he did not want to marry and Harry's wife Helen left him for another man so he is heartbroken uh, they seek solace in each other and they have late night phone conversations they go to dinner and they spend time together discussing their love lives during a New Year's Eve party Harry and Sally find themselves attracted to each other uh, and there's sort of a, a best friends blind date role reversal swap where their dates marry. Um, their dates is Jess the name of the guy? Yeah, the guy's name is Jess. Um, I can't remember what Carrie Fisher's name is, but Princess Leia is her best friend. Right. Um, and so then. Um, Mary, I think her name is Mary, Princess Leia, and Jess become best uh, best friends, and later they become engaged. They don't become best friends. They're, like, immediately ready to go to Bone Town. 
it's it's very much a Terry meets uh, Vincent moment. <laughs> uh, and so then one night over the phone, Sari tear, tearfully tells Harry that her ex is getting married. He rushes to her apartment to comfort her and oopsie, they end up having sex. Harry, of course, does the Harry thing and leaves the next morning and their friendship cools until a very heated argument at um, Jess and Mary's wedding dinner. Harry attempts to mend his friendship with Sally, but she feels they cannot be friends. Then we have the uh, very famous groveling scene, apology scene. Oh, like I love his movie. groveling in this movie and his hey. singing, his singing voicemails. Uh, like I said, I love a good grovel. Oh, for sure. And uh, so at a New Year's Eve party later that year, Sally feels alone without Harry by her side. And Harry spends New Year's alone walking around the city. As Sally decides to leave the party early, Harry appears and declares his love for her. She argues that the only reason he is there is because he's lonely, but he lists the many things that he realized he loves about her, all those small little things, the small details. Ah! So this is basically their second meet-cute because Harry is a new man. And they kiss and marry three months later, exactly 12 years and three months after their first meeting. And it's a great little ending because they get the last little interstitial about how, you know, how perfect they are for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, I would say this is one of those movies that I got to give credit to, uh, much like The Thin Man, which was your Mother's Day's mom choice. This movie is cinematically funny. It is cinematic. It's funny. The writing is so good. Um, watching this movie and it being so timeless because um, I've seen When Harry Met Sally multiple times, but this is the first time I watched it and I was the same age as Sally's character is uh, after the final time jump. She's 31, I think, 31 or 32. And she's thinking about having kids. And I wrote in my notes, is my life a cliche? Because I, all of her worries, her concerns, where she's at in life make sense to me. Why Harry's the kind of person she as a woman would choose to be friends with instead of in a relationship with. Uh, it all makes sense. And I feel like when a movie is written this well, it makes me just feel so inadequate. Like um, uh, my partner is a violinist. And when he watches a great violinist perform a piece, it just makes you think, wow, I could never do that. And it's watching when Harry met Sally to me is like watching Nora Ephron's virtuoso performance. And I'm just in awe because I, I can never write this. And I feel like we're still talking this way. We're still talking about these issues today. None of it has really gotten old, even as our conceptions of gender have really evolved um people are still talking about this i think 
Yeah, I completely agree. This movie is a very intimidating movie as a filmmaker. <laughs> this movie is like, yeah, we're just going to make a great movie. Try to do that, you. And um, <laughs> I also think it's interesting because I feel the same way about Carrie, which was my mom's choice, which is it's a very timeless horror movie that's really well made and very cinematic. and. It's intimidating, and it has well-written female characters, and yeah. So well-written, and I, I like that rather than Mary and Jess being, you know, just two-dimensional best friends, they're allowed to have their entire B story happen uh, as Harry and Sally are, their, their story is happening. Um, they get some of my favorite gags too, like the whole bit about the wagon wheel. And when oh, Carrie yeah. Fisher says to him, I want you to know, I am never going to ask for that table. <laughs> I'm never going to want that table. <laughs> yeah, this movie, I mean, they, they fit in the tags. They, they one-up themselves. Did you know that originally the script ended with them remaining friends? No, I did not. That reminds me of a very true romance, Quentin Tarantino downer ending, uh, Tony Scott upper ending. Um, it feels like maybe in the script that was appropriate, but after Rob Reiner made the movie he made, probably good call to go with the, the get together ending. Right. And I wonder like how early in the process did they figure this out? Because you have, for example, 28 days later, the entire third act of the movie was changed. And if ending of this movie isn't men and women can remain friends, um, but that Harry and Sally are supposed to be together, then it means you kind of have to retroactively um, re retell that story. Like if they were going to remain friends in the end, I would hate to see all of these old couple interview interstitials because to me it would be a total fake out. Uh, and you know, you, I would have felt it. I would have felt cheated by the movie if we found out that in the end they married other people uh, or something like that, uh, I, it would have, it would have, it would have gagged me. I would, again, if we're going to talk about Motel Hell, is it funny on purpose? And I would like to live in a world where it's funny on purpose. I think the cool thing that I would like to, to fantasize about this movie is that the ending came very late, but then they reverse engineered the ending where they came up with the final interstitial first and then they were like you know in order to sell this we should do random interstitials throughout the movie because they don't need to fit in story-wise they're just thrown in there oh but, but they're they so work. whimsical and cute yeah they work them. um um so is there anyone killable in this movie 
Oh, that is a really good question. Um, ooh, I know who I would kill. Um, just for Harry's sake, I would kill Ira because being in that situation where you're just belting out embarrassing karaoke, I also like that there was a callback because I think he bought the karaoke machine, right? Because he was singing when he was um, groveling on the, the voicemail. Yeah. Um, but he's in there and then up rolls ex-wife Helen and new boyfriend Ira. Uh, Fuck Ira. I think we got to kill Helen. I, I What did Ira do? Ira liked Helen. Billy Crystal liked Helen. Harry met Harry liked Helen. I don't know. Maybe I'm just more of a misandrist. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I I hate to say Helen, but like you said with um with Ida in Motel Hell, you know, sometimes it's nice that the woman gets to be the villain. Yes, yes indeed. So, this is um, horror remake territory, and so I feel like I'm very interested to know exactly what elements you pulled from When Harry Met Sally and turned it into something scary. <laughs> well, this is more silly. I feel like you're going to hear this and think that this is more of a, a just a straight-up Brett weird multi-genre movie than a horror movie but uh i'll, I'll i i think you'll enjoy this even though again this week my brain just was operating at a creative 10 percent um so it's not again it's not as detailed as i've been in the past but the name of this movie is when sally cursed harry Ooh. england 500 a.d Harry is a sorcerer, and Sally is a lady-in-waiting for Queen Guinevere. Harry loves Sally, but Sally is not interested in him. Harry disguises himself as a knight to seduce Sally, and when he accidentally reveals himself, she curses him so that no woman will ever want to be more than friends with him. Sally then commits suicide, because when you do a blood curse, you have to kill yourself afterwards. Happened in The Conjuring, might as well happen here. The stronger the sacrifice, the stronger the curse. Oh, yeah. So Harry finds that the curse is true. No woman wants to be more than friends with him. So Merlin tells Harry that the only way to undo the curse is to make Sally's reincarnation fall in love with him. So Harry prolongs his life with magic while searching out Sally reincarnated. But every time Sally remembers her past lives, she also remembers why she hates Harry and curses him again. Uh, so Harry gets angry and then also murders her again, making the cycle of death and rebirth just continue. So maybe we go through kind of like I Married a Witch, which I think in the timeline of our show is a future movie that we're doing. Um, we'll go through a montage of different time periods. Like maybe she gets reincarnated as a Viking and then Sally's a samurai uh, and then Sally's in the Ottoman Empire or maybe she's in Renaissance Florence. Maybe she pops up in the French Revolution. But you can just have all these meetings 
throughout history. And then finally we get to modern day and Harry has given up on lifting the curse, but fate puts Sally in his path again. Uh, and this time he decides he's going to just be friends. Uh, and he starts to feel guilty about the past, uh, but he can't tell Sally. And he just is dreading the day that she remembers their past lives. Uh, and then, I mean, I think we could pad this with other stuff, but the final scene, we've got one night, Harry and Sally are watching Casablanca, and then that's when all of Sally's lives come back to her. She turns to Harry and says, I know we're more than friends, we're enemies, and she stabs him. No! And murders him. <laughs> no! You made a really good slasher flick if if motel hell you know is kind of like a a slasher-esque flick it's a villain picking off his his prey uh you made a really good slasher flick out of when harry met sally it's a rom-com where every time he gets rejected he's got to kill her and then the cycle repeats it's kind of like happy death day but instead of groundhog day it's reincarnation Right. Uh, I really like it. I think you did a, oh. a great job with it. I'm glad. Um, and the fact that there's a comeuppance at the end. That's what makes it a horror movie instead of a rom-com. We're enemies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't have a name for mine. Go figure. I struggled with a name on the first one, obviously. Is it called Motel Hell? That's what I have it written down as. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. Camp. Camp Hell. Ooh. <laughs> Very nice. This one goes, this one goes dark. Okay. This, one go, this one's going to have to be played serious. Maybe Are like Harry a, and Sally cannibals? I, I think maybe like a um, drugged out Mandy kind of movie. Oh. So. Tell me more. Yes. So. Uh, we'll just say Vincent. Vincent gives up uh, activism at the beginning of the movie because he's a very pro-activist kind of guy, but he feels like, based on the trajectory of the world... Wait that... a second. Are, it's this, this is still a remake of When Harry Met Sally, right? Yeah. Okay, but you said Vincent. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I just, I, 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 if I spent all day on names, I would never write a movie. But you just used the same names from the original movie. Right. I just picked the first names that <laughs> popped into my mind. So I wrote Motel Hell and then I went with uh, Vincent. Okay. 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 Go on. So Vincent gives up activism. Uh, because he feels like he's not really making a difference. And then we have, you know, uh, we have one of his ex-girlfriends uh, messages him out of the blue. And it's a they had a very messy breakup. And she says she's messaging him out of love. And what she starts messaging him is very conspiracy-based crazy people stuff. And so he decides, instead of trying to change the world, I'm going to try to change her mind. Right? So then she starts talking about riots and revolution. And then 
he's thinking, no, this is crazy. There's not going to be riots and revolution. And she's like, you know what we need to do is we need to put all the crazy people in a camp. And he's like, no, that's not what we should do. An internment camp? Yes, an internment camp. So then he's like, this would never happen. All of a sudden, the police break down his door and throw him into an internment camp, Camp Hell. And so he is really like in this shocked kind of state where he's like, I can't believe this is happening. This is a nightmare. And it's treated really serious, uh, but in like a, a, a weird sci-fi kind of way. Okay. Like, like escape from New York, you know? Um, and so then uh, the, the lady, because she is pro all of this stuff, she's pro internment camp. She gets a job at the internment camp but then when she meets up with Vincent, she decides to break him free. Because remember, she's doing this out of love. Even though they had a messy breakup, she really cares for him. And so... Second chance. Yeah. So now she feels like, oh, these aren't just random faceless people that we're destroying the lives of. These are real people. So she helps Vincent escape. And then she brings him to the resistance because now she's on the run. So they go to the resistance and the resistance is gearing up for this one big sabotage where they're going to like sabotage some news station. Maybe the modern day equivalent of Wolfman Jack has a like Fox News type station thing. And um, then they go to the protest where they're going to destroy the news station and they have to dress up as cops, right? Because that's how you're going to sneak past the front line. So they open the van door to go do their secret mission. And then the lady shoots Vincent. And he says, why? Why would you shoot me? And she says, because really, I'm a triple agent. I'm on the side of the, of the government. And you are in an internment camp we need oh. we need to sacrifice people as martyrs and you're going to be a martyr for the fox news station government right wing crazy people and they oh, end up just like snow piercer yes and they end up putting a statue of vincent in front of camp hell as a like hoorah so his even though he was against camp hell he's now a martyr for camp hell and it's a scary uh, horror movie dystopian crazy thing. And the 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 way that this is a remake of When Harry Met Sally is when Harry Met Sally is about what if what if your enemy was the perfect person in your life? This is a horror movie because what if your enemy was really your enemy? <laughs> So, I mean, it's it's a stretch, but I'm willing to meet you there. I think that we've movie. made it. It's oh, a sorry. Pitch. It's a pitch. It's a pitch. I I think that we've definitely made one thing clear about our aesthetic, our tastes on this podcast, which is that the more absurd it is, the better. Uh, sure. We aren't here to tell humanistic stories about real people 
having real problems. Right. This is. I, I want to be entertained, which this for is me like, is the um, first rule of movies. This is like if uh, Sicario met Escape from New York. And somehow it comes back to when Harry met Sally. Right, exactly. Inspired by the movie when Harry met Sally. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a great deadline headline. Right. New um, horror movie inspired by when Harry met Sally. Yeah, that's free advertising. I, I think that there is something to that. Well, I will let you get away with it this time. <laughs> I mean, I I haven't I still haven't forgotten your remake of The Women, which the only thing it had in common with the women was the fact that there were women in your screenplay. <laughs> it was women in the movie The Women, it was women gossiping. And this one's women telling stories, yeah. And then in my version, it was women telling urban legends. Yes. No, I, I I mean, again, there are no rules when it comes to pitching. Uh so yeah, that that is that is how we play the game, and I respect it. Yeah. I definitely respect it. Thank you. So all right, all right. So then now as we are wrapping things up, how can people reach us to react to your When Harry Met Sally remix? Yeah, if you have any uh, notes or titles to give us, um, then you can email us, necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter, necromancerpod, and I think you, uh, you're pretty active on that Instagram. Bing, bang, boom, the Necromancer podcast. You can see all the little images that I've prepared for our episodes. I like to take a screen cap from the horror movie and a screen cap from the rom-com and then make them as thematically similar as possible. Yeah, there's a lot of good composition comparisons that are um, that I notice that you pick. They're very nice. Thank you. Uh, so do you have any, uh, love bites for us? I know you, you teased one earlier. I do. So I watched a documentary on a film that I love very much. And I think exhibits many of the qualities that we applaud in movies. Uh, I watched a documentary called you don't know me and that's N O M I. And it's about the movie showgirls directed by Paul Verhoeven. A big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I don't know if my dad has seen Showgirls. I have no doubt it's the kind of movie he would snicker and say is titillating because there's so many boobs in the movie. But the thing I like about this documentary is that they're pretty evenly balanced between people who say that uh, Showgirls is hot garbage and then people who say, no, Showgirls is secret genius. Uh, and then they define camp as being failed seriousness or failed reality. But there's another part in the documentary where a guy talks about certain movies being anti-reality. And I think that Paul Verhoeven is, is one of those artists. But I feel like... Wait, you don't Paul need... Verhoeven, the guy who directed Total Recall, is anti-reality? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, the man who directed RoboCop <laughs> and Basic Instinct, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. Is is definitely not a realist, but I also feel like realism in itself is a kind of fantasy and is also sort of a fictional perspective, um, even though it pretends to this of being of reality. I feel like you can't help but confront the truth of human experience, even if you're doing something that's anti-reality. And Showgirls is just such a fun campy, crazy, off the wall movie. And I think that this is just a really fun celebration of it. All right. So you're recommending Showgirls. I've never seen it. Well, no, no, I'm recommending the... I'm recommending the documentary You Don't Know Me. Gotcha. N-O-M-I, which is about Showgirls. One of the other devices in the documentary that I really like is they show clips from other Verhoeven movies where it looks like the characters are watching Showgirls. <laughs> which I think is is really funny and clever. Nice. But I, do I have to watch Showgirls to watch the documentary? Have you never seen Showgirls? I've never seen Showgirls. You gotta watch Showgirls. I mean, you you could see the documentary before Showgirls and maybe it would make you appreciate Showgirls more from an artistic standpoint, but just just get drunk and high one night and watch Showgirls. It's fun. All right, that sounds like a plan. I never but, knew. But also watch You Don't Know Me. Gotcha. Um, very nice. Do you have any other recommendations? Any love bites? Uh, okay, I did write down one more, but I, I hate being that like, oh, I've got so many recommendations to make. I do feel like on the subject of can men and women be friends, I think in reality, men and women, straight men and women, which is really what that question is about, can be friends. Uh, one of the shows which I think depicts a male and female friendship that I think is really good is the show Frasier. Because the relationship between Frasier and Roz is, is really fun and funny. And ultimately, it's not meant to be romantic at all. And, you know, Frasier walked so 30 Rock could run, basically. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Sonia. Very, very, very much loves Frasier. And I am not a Frasier guy at all. But I have to admit, as much as I don't like Frasier, there are some elements of Frasier that are really good. So, you know, it's not a it's not a black and white issue with me. It's not Frasier is total garbage or Frasier is a masterpiece. I kind of just fit in the middle. You're allowed to have opinions. So what do you got for us this week? Uh, I have a, a movie that's kind of hard to recommend because it's a very bizarre movie. It's very what if Kung Fury was serious kind of movie. And it's what if Kung Fury was serious and the score was written by Carpenter Brute, who is one of the ultimate heavy hitters of synthwave outrun type music. So it's a movie called Blood Machines, and it's on Shudder. Interesting. Don't, if you don't have Shudder, I think Shudder is well worth a very well-used trial of it. I think if you do a one week of Shudder. You're a Shutter, horror fan. Gotta. If, if you do one week of Shudder and you want to just watch one movie every day and you want to capitalize on that, uh, hit us up on social media because I will definitely drop you 
a playlist of all the the must-haves of Shudder. And I think Blood Machines would be on that list. I think it's super crazy. It's about a spaceship that's being driven by a woman AI, a female AI, and then the female AI is hunted down by... It's being hunted down by two male bounty ship, uh, bounty hunter guys who are being hired by the military, basically. And, or they are a section of the military. And so they hunt down this female spaceship that's, again, very Kung Fury, green screen, sci-fi-y, outrun kind of mode. And then the female is resurrected as a space entity and goes through a space odyssey on the run from these male bounty hunters and this ancient tribe this ancient tribe of female warriors kind of mad max fury road style but you had me at ancient female warriors yeah but it's cyberpunk version very horizon zero dawn technology meets mad max kind of thing And then they end up overthrowing the military using very feminine things that's done in a very feminine cinematic way. By weeping? Like weeping? No, no. No, they work together. You said said feminine. I was like, so by queefing? Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) In an extremely feminine way. That would be the motel hell (laughs) version of Blood Machines. No, they use they use compassion and they use teamwork to fight the men and the two right, bounty hunters. Right. The two bounty hunters are kind of anti-military, even though they're doing the military work. And the two bounty hunters also kind of are anti-each other because they quibble and fight and they don't work well together and they abuse their woman AI who oh, runs. They're toxic their ship. males. Yes, they're very toxic males. And so I don't know. You know, the future is female. I think Blood Machines is a really cool cyberpunk, sci-fi, green screen, outrun, Kung Fury, Carpenter, Brute, space odyssey. And it's, I don't know, I guess some people would probably glorify it as a crazy music video, glorified music video. But mm, yeah, and inexplicably, it's it's chopped up into three sections so it's kind of a tv show but it's not a tv show it's just a 60 minute short film well feature length 60 minute film i don't know what the technical cutoff between short and feature is but i highly recommend it well you've sparked my interest it's a crazy one all right well until next time smell you later Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.